0: What's up everybody welcome to redirected my name is Andrew East and this is a show where we sit down with people who have successfully made it through some of life's unexpected events and if you're thinking to yourself well doesn't everybody go through unexpected events in life you're absolutely correct but what I wanted to do with this show was sit down with top performers to see how they made it through these changes whether that's a career change that they didn't see coming or an illness that derailed where they were supposed to be or wanted to be. I wanted to sit down with these people because I wanted to glean wisdom personally myself and also share that wisdom with you. Today, I sit down with Noah Galloway, who is truly one of the most inspirational people I've ever met in my life. After losing part of his left arm and left leg in an explosion while serving overseas, Noah found himself in a dark place, but has truly made the best of the situation. He's appeared on Dancing with the Stars, is an author, and currently serves as a motivational speaker where he travels the world inspiring others. Noah's an awesome guy, and if you want to find out more about him, you can click in the description down below and find his social links and reach out to him. I highly recommend it. He's a great guy, and you'll love his story. Without further ado, enjoy this episode with Noah Galloway. Noah, thank you for joining us today. I am super excited to be talking with you. We've interacted a couple of times over the past couple of years, but I was checking out your Instagram and now I'm seeing it live. You have probably gained 10 pounds of muscles. You're jacked now, dude. It's insane. Well, I mean,
1: I put on weight everywhere. You know, That's, the, <laughs> <laughs> that's when you're wow. bulking, you know? <laughs> Gosh. But yeah, because I, I usually do a lot of cardio and high intensity interval training, but over the winter, I started just doing a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. And I should have already have transitioned out of it because like summer's here, especially in Alabama. It is summer. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm not ready.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. You got the hibernation weight going on. So for the first time, I ran my first marathon and uh, I know you've done a couple, right? Yeah, I have. I've done four. I got destroyed. So (laughs) the longest run I did was 15 miles and I was so overconfident. I was like, dude, I'm going to crush 26. Yeah. Come 15 miles though
1: down after that oh
0: my gosh so yeah anyway yeah it was a spiritual journey for me though dude you're just fighting your body to get to that finish line it's crazy
1: you know it actually does you they like talk about that wall you hit and it's real and you really test yourself to push beyond where your body wants to quit which marathon did you run
0: the boston so i did oh it. that's awesome yeah it was it was amazing man going down that last stretch where they have like memorials and stuff yeah. it, Just like gave me the chills. So I actually love doing cardio. I've always lifted weights. I love doing cardio more than I thought I would. You know, everybody says, "Ah, I hate to run. But then once you start to do it, it's like, whoa! I feel good all of a sudden, you know, like I had more energy than I ever did. I just started my morning that way. And it it carried me to like 3 p.m. and I was just jazzed up with energy. Yeah. Are you like that with cardio?
1: No, when I get back into it, I enjoy it. It's just right now I'm scared. Just like, you know, like I tell people that have never gotten into fitness you know, I've got to get over that same hump of just saying, I got to do it. And just one day, just start doing it. Jump on the treadmill.
0: Yeah. I was listening to somebody say, and I thought they brought up a great point. Fitness is not when you're X amount of pounds or you've lost X amount of pounds. Like you being fit happens when you decide that you're going to commit to working out and taking care like of it. I, I just I like, I, I, I thought that was such an important point because there is such like this pressure to to be like, oh, well, I'm not going to be healthy until I'm under two hundred pounds or whatever it is. So yeah. I thought that was a good perspective I had on it. But no, we always start off talking about what it was like growing up for you. So you're from Alabama, right?
1: I am. Yeah. I'm from Alabama and, you know, grew up when I was real little, we were far out in the country. And then as I got older, we lived more in Birmingham. So I kind of grew up in in the city. And, you know, I was that kind of kid that I like to say that I broke my parents, you know, like they they gave up on trying to discipline me. (laughs) They literally said that when I was little, they could catch me doing something bad, spank me and I'd go back to doing what I was doing when I get through my punishment. I mean, I was, you know, whenever I had something on my mind I was going to do, I was going to do it.
0: Wow. Do you have brothers or sisters? I have three sisters. Oh my gosh.
1: Three redheaded sisters. I didn't date a redhead I was in my 30s because they scared me so much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I saw that you are you grew up an Auburn fan. Is that still the case?
1: No, no, no. I grew up an Alabama fan. But you probably saw I was supporting Auburn in the final four.
0: Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Which,
1: you know, some Alabama fans got mad about that because they're like, no, if you're an Alabama fan, you can't fool for it. But I thought it was pretty amazing that they
0: made it that far. That was cool to watch. It was cool to yeah, watch. It was. I'm glad we got that clarified for anybody who is worried about that with no <laughs> loyalty. But I do have to say, as a Vandy grad myself, I think you're rooting for the wrong SEC team. So you yeah. know. Oh well. We beat Auburn in football. You know, I you know, I feel like I gotta keep pulling for the winner. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Okay, throwing shots already. Um So you start, you went to UAB, right? I did, yes. What were your dreams going into UAB?
1: You know, I'm not real sure. People have asked me that. I wish I had a very in-depth reason for being there. I'm not real sure. I was probably going to be a teacher. Two of my sisters are teachers, and I still have a desire to do some of that. I love working with kids, with students. But I wasn't in school very long when 9-11 happened. And I immediately just dropped out and went in the military.
0: Was there a family history in the military or it was just like...
1: Yeah, my mom grew up military brat and she was always pushing me to join the military. And I never wanted anything to do with it. I respected it, knew a lot of my family had either served or were still serving in the military. And I respected them for it, but I didn't want anything to do with it. But then when nine eleven happened, I went in and then I fell in love with it.
0: Wow. And you enlisted into the Army, right? Yes. Wow. First of all, thank you, man. Like. Well, that. I'd like to think that if I was of age at that time that I would have the courage to do that. But um was it an easy choice for you to just jump right in? Like well, I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like I'm an adrenaline junkie. Like I and I thought I want to go to war. And so I mean, patriotism is what got me in, but a little bit of that adrenaline rush is what I loved about it and why I re-enlisted and why I wanted to stay in.
0: Wow. Wow. Did your zest and that craving of adrenaline ever taper like as you progress through the army did your excitement for no. it wayne
1: no in fact i wanted more and more like i wanted i put in i did all the paperwork and the physical fitness test everything to go special forces but when it came up for me to go to the school called selection that you try out for i was already in iraq my second deployment and they came to pick me up and i was like i'm not leaving a deployment for a school so I stayed, and that's when I got blown up. Now, I'm not going to say that I was going to be Special Forces. I don't know. I may have failed right out of that school. Yeah. But that was a goal that I had that I wanted to stay in. I wanted to go as far up the ranks as possible.
0: Wow. And so it was on your second deployment that the event happened you mentioned? Yes. Can you just walk us through, for anybody listening that doesn't know your story, what that was like?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we I was with the 101st. We're a light infantry unit. That means that we walked everywhere. But we had an area that was... A lot of farmland, all this open space. So we had Humvees. Now, they're armored Humvees, but these some of these explosions were pretty big. And one night, I was wearing my night vision goggles. Headlights were off. And I didn't see in the road a tripwire stretch across the road. So when our front tires hit it, it detonated a roadside bomb large enough that when it hit my door, it threw this 9,000-pound armored Humvee flying through the air and landing in a canal running adjacent to the road. I don't remember any of it. Thankfully, it landed wheels down because I was not completely unconscious. My arm was taken off immediately. My jaw was shattered. Injuries to my right hand. Both my legs were injured. And they rushed me out and had medics work on me. Then a helicopter took me to a camp outside of Baghdad, Baghdad to Germany, Germany to Walter Reed Arm Medical Center in D.C. And that's when I woke up and was kind of clear of what was going
0: on. It was Christmas Day, 2005. Jeez. You were unconscious for like five days. Is that what I read? Five or six days. Yeah. Wow. What was it like when you woke up?
1: So when I woke up, I still remember because I, and of course I've told the story so many times, I don't forget it, but I remember seeing my parents walk in the room you know, I knew I was somewhere safe. They wouldn't be there. And something in the back of my mind said, smile so they know you're okay. And I don't know why I thought that. Me and my mom have talked about it and she said that that was when that calmed her nerves so bad. She didn't know what she was walking into and I just looked up at her and smiled And she felt so much better. And it's not like I was this tough guy the entire time. As I was in that hospital bed and all the surgeries that were happening and, you know, accepting the fact that I was injured, one minute I was like, oh, this is fine. The next I was angry. The next I was crying like a baby. I mean, it was very emotional. And the
0: emotions just bounced around like crazy. Hmm. What's cool is, so I just kind of did a research project on how you can build confidence. And I was asking all the guys in the locker room, what are different ways you can you can build confidence? And so it was like routine. It was what you can dress. But then also attitude was kind of like one that was thrown around. And the fact that you would have the awareness and the strength to smile in that situation, even though you just were unconscious for five days, is like yeah. so important. And it puts you at ease to a certain degree and like you said it put your mom at ease and it's like it's amazing the effect that you have when you have the power to control your attitude it's like crazy man so hats off to you
1: yeah well i appreciate you know and like i said i don't know why i thought it and i did it i mean i'm very yeah. protective of my family so it's like all i thought about was let them know you're okay no matter what's going on
0: yeah gosh and how old were you when the incident happened 24 jeez man gosh What were the years, the subsequent years to the incident like?
1: Yeah. So the first couple of years were really tough. You know, I went into a deep, dark depression. And when I spent the most time, in, there's all these different phases, I spent a lot of time in denial. Mm -hmm. Like I thought I was fine, but I was out all night, drinking all night, sleeping all day, angry because I wasn't controlling my emotions. I mean, I was not somebody I would hang around with today. Like, I'd want to get someone like that help, but I would not spend time surrounding myself with people like I was. Yeah, And it wasn't until I realized how this was going to affect my children that I realized I needed to make a difference.
0: Hmm. That's amazing. You had kids at the time?
1: I did. My oldest was born actually in January of 2005, and I got injured December of oh five. So he was just shy of a year old. Wow. And then my other two were born after I was injured.
0: Wow. You have since overcome your addictions. You've been on this like whirlwind of celebrity, it feels like. And you've been yeah. on Dancing with the Stars and that Fox show, American Grit. Is that right? Yep. You've been on the cover of mm-hmm. Men's Health Magazine. The shift from going to addiction to walking into that life, what are some takeaways that you learned from that?
1: Well, one thing I learned about myself is I have an addictive personality. Huh. And there's nothing wrong with that. I see it in my sisters, my dad, and you either use that addiction for something good or something bad. So I was self-medicating and using alcohol and all this different stuff. And then when I got back into fitness, well, then my addiction was the fitness. My addiction was me saying, I'm going to be a better father. You know, so my addiction just switched. Hmm. And so I think that the best thing anybody can do for themselves is get to know themselves really well. That's how yeah. you can adjust where you're going in life. Yeah. And to know that I have an addictive personality is enough for me to know, okay, well then how don't make this work to my advantage.
0: Yeah. I think it's a really important point you made where it's like, it's not the fact that you have an addictive personality is not a bad thing. Like it's every one of us is unique and yeah. has, has strengths and weaknesses. But how do you make those weaknesses and switch them into good like you did with fitness? But getting into fitness, from my understanding, wasn't super easy for you to start off with right after this. No,
1: I mean, because there was nothing on the internet. There was no books, no magazines on how to work out missing an arm and a leg. So I had to start from scratch and just figure out how to work my right side, how to work my left side. And I figured out that with an ankle strap, I could use my arm and work my chest, my shoulder, my back. I use bands for the left side. Right side, I can use the machines. I can use kettlebells, dumbbells, whatever it is. So it is. It's, and most people go upper body, lower body, or push, pull, whatever. I'm doing right side, left side.
0: Gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> it looks like you're hitting your upper body pretty good. So yeah, <laughs> checking out the biceps, freaking huge. You tell the story of um, you joining that 24-hour fitness gym. And going in at 2 a.m. because there is a sense of shame. Mm-hmm. Talk us through that. So
1: what's been interesting is growing up, I've always gotten into fitness when I was like 12, 13 years old, and I've always been, you know, an ectomorph, very thin, trying to pack on weight, and that's what I concentrated on. And then as I got older, I got bored with that, so then I started concentrating on people that were overweight and what they need to go through. One thing that I never could really relate to was that fear of walking into a gym, being out of shape. Hmm. And it wasn't until I was injured that I felt like now I can relate to people that whether they have an injury or they have put on a lot of weight and they want to join a gym, but they're nervous about it. One thing I found is the fact that fitness is like any other cult. Once people get involved, they want everyone involved. You know, it's like my youngest sister just recently got into working out. And I told her, I said, you can go in a gym and find anyone in there working out and ask them a question. And the biggest guy in there will set his weights down and be like, oh, I'll tell you about it. Cause yeah. we're all excited about fitness. Whenever someone walks into a gym, I love to tell people that are out of shape and want to join as someone who goes to the gym all the time. We get excited when new people come in and you want to see them make the changes. So no yeah. one judges people like you think they do. Like too many people think that those in fitness They think that we judge them for not being fit. Right. When we get excited, then they come in. That's what I experienced when I started working out. I was ashamed. I was going at two o'clock in the morning. But as I got more comfortable, I'd go during the day and people were excited to see me working out. Yeah. How did you get into the cardio scene? Well, so I went through the VA, got a running leg. And that was really difficult to get used to because I'm above the knee. And it does not feel like running with two legs, but it took some time and practice. And then the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it. And so when it comes to cardio, like I love, like I'll, I'll row, do all that. But for me, high intensity interval training is my preferred way of getting my cardio to get that heart rate up.
0: Yeah, I saw you did CrossFit for a little bit. I did. Are you still doing it?
1: No people either love it or hate it. I'm like, you know, if you love it, do it. If you don't, I know for me personally, this shoulder is really important to me. <laughs> so yeah. I had to get, I have to be very careful with what I do. But it was CrossFit that introduced me to kettlebells. And then I became obsessed with kettlebells. Really? Why? I don't know. I, you know, it was with kettlebells, I could use that over barbell. And then I just became where I wanted to do as much as possible with kettlebells. And that's one of my goals. I want to go get my kettlebell certification because I love working with kettlebells.
0: Dude, I feel like, like you're saying, there's like little subculture cults kind of in fitness. Yeah. I feel like kettlebell is one of them. CrossFit obviously is like, yeah. has its own.
1: You know, and it's true. Like I'm the kind of person that I can go to a gym and I'll see somebody using kettlebells and I'm like, oh, they're doing that so wrong. You <laughs> know, and it, it's like, <laughs> yeah. but you can't really just walk up to random people. I found they're kind of offended when you do
0: that. So I quit doing it. <laughs> Dude, but some people at the gym, you're like, you're going to hurt yourself. You yes, can't. I know. Yeah. I want to stop for a second and thank the team at Himalaya Media, which helps make this show possible. If you guys don't know what Himalaya is, it is my personal favorite podcast app. You could find all your favorite podcasts on there no matter what you listen to, and you could download Himalaya on Android and iOS. And I love this app because the interface is truly beautiful, the layout's really intuitive, and they integrate great features such as Patreon so that you can support your favorite shows. If you guys want to learn more about Himalaya, you can download it in the App Store. Without further ado, let's get back to the show. Very important if you're going to go work out, learn the movements.
1: Yes, the movements.
0: So yeah. you don't injure yourself because yes. getting jacked for a couple of days is not worth getting injured yeah. for a little bit. So you're like the voice, I feel like, and an inspiration for so many people. And you've put yourself out there. I can't imagine that's easy. What are the challenges that come with, you know, like you have to tell this story of, of your injury over and over and over and over again. How do you deal with coping with that?
1: You know, telling my story hasn't been the hard part because I've actually found that it was very, it was helping me more than I felt like it was helping others. Cause when I tell my story, I, I feel good about it. And when I give speeches, Yeah, it's talking about getting blown up and losing two of my limbs. Yeah. But I use a lot of humor in it. Like it's very uplifting. You know, I don't want to make any speech depressing. You know, I don't want my story to be depressing because I have an amazing life. I'm very thankful that I'm alive and doing well. But what's hard, and I'm not complaining about it, I love that this happens, but a lot of people share their very difficult stories with me. You know if they've gone to depression or they know somebody that's been injured or whatever and i'm glad they do and i love listening to those stories but it's like when there's one after the other after the other at the end of the the night i mean I'm, i've got to go yeah. decompress because it is it's a lot of stories and, and again i don't mind that people do that i love that they're comfortable sharing those stories with me and i love talking to them about them but yeah with time it can be very it, it's a lot
0: Yeah. One thing that's so great about your story is like all of us whenever we hit like a point of failure or disappointment or sorrow I feel like it's so easy to just like wallow in that yeah. you know what I'm saying and like it just every day you wake up and it's still the same heaviness as as the day before how did you not let that get to you or I mean It did to a certain extent, but how'd you get past that?
1: Well, one thing is my personality has always been the glass is half full. Like I'm a pretty happy guy. Yeah, yeah. But I think that after my injury, my depression, everything I went through, I do think it gave me a better appreciation for life. Hmm. You know, like something bad can happen, but just like people always say, the sun always comes up the next day. Yeah, things can upset me, but then, you know, I try to remember, hey, that's not all there is to life you know, there's always something else that comes up. Like if I fail at something, well, then it's, I either figure out a new way to do it or a new thing to do. You know, I just wanted, I spoke to a group of 400 elementary school kids and I told them the same thing I tell my kids. you like, because I have kids, my kids are very competitive, especially my son, Jack, who's 11. Yeah. And I'm constantly reminding him that this isn't all there is to life. You have to enjoy what you're going through, what you're doing, the good and the bad. And then I always tell them, You know, I don't expect you to be the best. Just give me your best. That's all I ever ask. You know, they play sports. Sometimes you're going to win. Sometimes you're going to lose. You know exactly how that is. But as long as you've given your best, that's all you can ask. And that's as long as I look, I go to bed at night and feel like I've given my best every day, then I'm okay with it. You know, no matter what's happened, good, bad, indifferent, doesn't matter. Hmm. And I feel like since my injury, I see that a lot better now.
0: Wow. It's powerful. You now are... On somewhat of a circuit of speaking and and you grace people with your perspective, what is the main message that you share with others when you talk with them?
1: You know, I think a lot of it is like, it depends on where I am. Like I've done conferences for leadership, things like that. But then a lot of it's just motivation. And I always tell people that there was a quote, an anonymous quote I read years ago and I never forgot it, that obstacles are not excuses, they're ammunition we use. And I feel like that was a good quote for the way I live my life. And I try to encourage others to do the same thing. Just because we come up to something that's difficult doesn't mean you should quit. You just give it a little more effort and push a little harder. Because we do, we give up We give up way too much. All of us do it. There's, We've all known times that we've not gone as hard as we could have, and, and we always regret it. And I don't want to have any regret. When I share my story, I talk about The different things I've gone through, my children being my main inspiration and my focus in everyday life, and that's where everything comes from. And to not let anything distract me from attaining whatever goals I'm
0: hoping to achieve. Have you ever read the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? I have not. Oh my gosh, you, you should read it. I, I would highly recommend it. I
1: definitely will. Like I, I'm big on books. Like There's a book, Tribe, by uh, Sebastian Younger that I like. I'm in yeah. the middle of reading The Habit. I don't know the author's name of it, but yeah, I, I'm a big fan of anything I can be learning.
0: So this book, Man's Search for Meaning, is uh, written by Viktor Frankl, who was in a concentration camp during World War II, and he was a psychologist. And so he made all these observations that he later wrote this book about. And what he surmised, what he recognized is if we don't have hope or like some driving force, whether that's a dream or a family to live for, then our tendency to give up in whatever sense that means is so much higher. So to have oh. to have that big dream or to have that, the family, you said it was your kids, yeah. um, is it's crucial to just like So just keep going, you know?
1: You know what? I tell people all the time. I'm like, my focus every day are my children. And everybody's different. Not everybody has children. Because I'll tell people, I'm like, hey, if you have a desire to own a huge house or, you know, a fancy car, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Have it a picture of that Corvette or whatever mounted on your fridge. And that's what you think about when things get tough. It's like, no, I set out to earn what it is I want. And that's what's going to drive me and push me. And I think that, man, that is, yeah, I'm definitely going to get that book.
0: I would recommend it. You mentioned a couple of books, but what are the the main sources of media that you consume? Do you have like favorite podcasts or YouTube channel or an author maybe?
1: Uh, I mean, I try to read different things. I mean, my favorite author is Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. But where I get my, basically like the news and things like that, you know, that's what I love about Twitter. I can follow these different accounts and get you know, all these different sides of the story and every news stations highlighting different things. So I try to keep up with what's going on in the world. And then when it comes to, I still listen to a lot of podcasts and I haven't as much, but you know, I need to get back. Cause I mean, all my friends are constantly like, have you listened to this podcast? Have you listened to this podcast? And I travel a lot. So that's why I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and that's where I need to start picking up the podcast again.
0: What's your favorite Malcolm Gladwell book?
1: Uh, well, I mean, there's so many. The Tipping Point was the very first one I read and I loved it. That's probably one of my favorites. I think what I love about Michael Gladwell is he's so intelligent, but he's able to dumb it down. And that's not easy to do because there's right. been books I've bought that I was interested in the subject, but it was way over my head. Right, and Malcolm Gladwell, like you know, the tipping point. If you've ever read it, like every chapter is a completely different story. And I sounded so intelligent for a while just because I could reference (laughs) that book in different conversations and fake the funk a little and sound like I know what I'm talking about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of books, you've written your own book. Can you tell us about it? So I wrote a book, Living with No Excuses, and
1: you know, it talks about my childhood, it talks about the military, it talks about dancing with the stars, all that. But the heart of the book. It's not the entire book, but the heart of it. I really am extremely honest and open about my depression and my struggles and mistakes I made. And that was really hard to do. And I was terrified when the book came out that people were going to hate me. These people that love me on Dance with the Stars as a Southern gentleman is going to go out the window. But when it came out, you know, I have found that people really admired the fact I was open and honest. And the amount of people that have reached out to me not just people that were injured, just people that have suffered depression, they relate to it. and that has been a great theme that is, it comes up a lot when I go and speak. I have to go speak in Chicago in a couple of weeks at a medical symposium, and we're going to talk in depth about depression. Not that these you know highly educated medical professionals aren't aware of things, but it's different when you get a personal perspective from somebody.
0: Yeah. What are the biggest misconceptions about depression do you feel like there are?
1: I feel like, you know, during my book tour, I was in Atlanta and doing Q&A, and a woman said, well, you've lost your arm and your leg. You have a reason to be depressed. What about the people? And I stopped her. And I was like, you don't have to have an injury or something traumatic happen. I mean, you know, yeah, something traumatic can happen and throw everything off, but there can also be a chemical imbalance. In Your yeah. brain. The most complicated organ in our body is the brain. And the fact that we feel like that's less important to everything else. Like if we have a friend that has a heart condition and goes to see a cardiologist, well, we want to know how that appointment went, that they're feeling better, right. that there's something they can do to help them. Well, if someone goes to get mental health, we should be concerned, hey, daddy go, how you feeling? You know, you're working through it. Is there, you, know, you got any medicine? Everything going good. So we this negativity has to go away. And I feel like that is One of the reasons why I wanted to do the book and be so open and honest was to make it a little more common. And now we've seen that Prince Harry's come out talking about depression. Dwayne Johnson's come out talking about depression. I feel like, you know, not everyone goes through it, but it's not that uncommon. I think Mm -hmm. more people have suffered depression than we realize or even they realize. And the more that comes out, as someone who loves to talk about health and fitness, you can't be healthy and fit without mental health as well.
0: That's an important point. Do you feel like exercise can help mitigate depression?
1: I think it can. I don't think it's the end all, yeah. You know, to everyone's problem. Yeah. Uh, I know for me, it really helped more or less. If I'm not sitting idle, is detrimental to anybody, and that's yeah. what I was going through my depression. So it's not just the fitness. Yeah, I feel better. I have more energy, and so all that's important. But doing something is what. I think really helped my depression is to get back out and start doing things.
0: What are resources that you'd recommend people looking into if they feel like they might be struggling with depression or something? Like
1: that? Well, it's always good if you're worried about seeing a doctor. If you find out there's someone you know that has gone through that, talk to them. They can give you the ins and outs, but you shouldn't be afraid to go see a mental health specialist. And for veterans, they definitely, not saying that just because you're a veteran, you need mental health. I tell veterans all the time, we all got something wrong with us, you know, whether it's from childhood or whatever. Mm-hmm. And as a veteran, we have free health care. We can go to the VA and see a mental health doctor and we should be taking advantage of it. And for veterans that feel like all oh, the VA needs improvement, this I'm not arguing for or against the VA, but veterans need to remember if we want the VA to be, to be improving, we have to be enrolled. We have to be involved. And that's how it improves is by being part of it. To say, hey, this isn't working or whatever it is. Because I think too many people just assume, all the VA's crap. I'm extremely happy with the VA. Well, the Birmingham VA has been really good. Everyone's different. Like I said, there's good and bad to everything. But I feel like anybody that is struggling with depression, whether it's the energy they have or the thoughts, whatever it is, go get help. There's nothing wrong with going and talking to a professional.
0: Yeah. Wise words. Can you tell us about your charity fund?
1: Yeah, so I started my No Excuses Charitable Fund. When I first started it, as an injured veteran, I saw too many organizations that claimed they were doing good things for veterans, but they weren't. And it took a couple of years for some of those organizations to be pulled out in the light of what they were doing. But that was motivation for me to start my charitable fund. No money goes through my hands. I have a third party that runs as a 501c3, and I choose what organizations that that money goes to. I you know, support Operation During Warrior. They take injured veterans and run races with them, and that's good for veterans to be part of a team again and to get out there. No Barriers works with not just veterans, but people of different disabilities, and they do incredible things my local YMCA. I sponsor the youth because I know for me, I got into fitness at a young age and it was huge for me after I was injured to fall back on that, to get back into shape and start challenging myself. So, you know, I feel like our youth, we have to keep them active. We have to be pushing them, supporting their sports. And so that's my charitable fund is all about making sure that money goes in the right
0: places. Wow. I love that. No, what are your goals now?
1: So We mentioned the mental health. I want to do more
0: to keep
1: that conversation going, to be that person that speaks open about what I went through and how it's affected me and how I approach it now. I feel like the more that's pushed, the more normal it seems. I think that that will help. But then also, you know, I love being in the public eye and I hope that being the public eye, I can continue to do that, motivate others. But I also, you know, I have two sisters that are educators. And I do think that down the road, I see myself in the classroom. I want to work with high school kids, especially those that are struggling. Because I feel like as a kid who struggled and did not like school, I relate well to those those boys and girls that, you know, can go either way. I was talking to a kid the other day that he's in a program that he's been kicked out of public school. So he has one year at this one program Then he can go back to the public school. And I told him, I said, look, the reality of it is you have potential that you don't realize. CEOs are not your honor students. These are the people that think outside the box. They're the ones who change the world. Mm -hmm. And a lot of time they're the kids that are overlooked in class. And I feel like they just have to be guided in the right direction. And I want to be one of those people that can hopefully help with that.
0: Well, one maybe word of encouragement is I feel like you speaking to these organizations, whether it's companies or other groups, you're doing a a good amount of teaching there and you're making a change, even if it might not be at the the youth level, but you're going to be great. You're a great teacher and you have obviously some awesome perspectives to share. What are three things that you've learned over your journey that might apply to the broader audience?
1: You know, I mentioned earlier that quote, obstacles are not excuses, they're ammunition you use. And I feel like one thing I've learned, and I, I bring it up all the time to people, are don't let those barriers, those roadblocks stop you. Find a way around them, whether it's up, over, under, or through it. Find a way around it. Don't ever hold back. The majority of people in our life never go their full potential. Hmm. And I don't want people to be that. Yeah. You know, We always have more. I mean, I'm reminded of, uh, now I think about it, Roger Bannister. Was the first man to ever break a sub four minute mile. That was in 1954. Within a couple of weeks, someone broke that record. Within a couple of weeks, someone broke that record. There was no change in diet and nutrition within those couple of weeks. It was just people realizing, oh, we can actually do that. Because doctors told people your heart would literally implode if you ran a four-minute mile. And now we know that it's possible and people do it all the time. Yeah. So our mind has so much control. So, you know, one thing I've learned is to not be held back to always see how much further we can go. That's one. Two, you gotta have a goal, you know, like you mentioned, like in that book, you have to have hopes, dreams, desires. And for me, a long time ago, I realized my kids are my priority. You know, when I was in my depression and not being the best person, I realized to my two boys, I'm showing them what a man is. And that's what they're going to grow up to be one day. You can preach to your kids, you're blue in the face. And they learn from who we are. And to my little girl, I'm showing her what a man's supposed to be, how he's supposed to act. And that's what she's going to look for one day. So I didn't have time to be this depressed, crabby person. I had to go get the help. I had to move forward. And I always tell people, have a goal that is bigger than your fears. And when I have moments of doubt or fear, I think of my three kids. And I tell people, find whatever that is in your life. And have that as a reminder when you hit those roadblocks to overcome them because you have something stronger than your fears. Wow. And then number three, that was number two, right? Yep. I'm not good with counting. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh. Number three, enjoy life. I feel like too often we get bent out of shape and worry about things we shouldn't. Get all depressed and worried about, you know, yeah, I keep up the news, but I try not to let it bring me down. People think this world is going to hell in a handbag and it's so bad. The world's no different than it's ever been. We just hear about it more because of technology. And you can look at all the bad, but I choose to look at all the good. And I see right now here in Alabama, the sun's out, kids are playing. I was just working out and chit-chatting with everybody. I have an amazing life and we all have that, but we choose to see what we want to see. And you got to see the good. You got to enjoy life. We're only here for a short time. Might as well enjoy it. Wow. Dropping
0: bombs, Noah. (laughs) Thank you, man. That's great. Dude, thank you for your service. Thank you for your courage. And I'm excited to see you continue changing lives. I look forward to us growing our relationships. We're going to have to host you in Nashville. You're not going to get away from that. I know we're not. Yeah,
1: no, I've been trying. I think (laughs) y'all purposely go out of town. Like, hey, I'm in Nashville. You're like, oh, sorry.
0: (laughs) I saw, I saw Noah's website that he's coming to Nashville. We got to leave town.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, that's great, man. Well, well, thank you for your time, and we'll talk soon.
1: All right, man. Thank you.
0: If you haven't yet, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps the show out, and um, I love having a new audience. I love hearing what you guys think, and I love having you come back every single week.